You are tuned to Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2. This is episode 10, which is dedicated to the 30th anniversary of the Sega CD. And let's get right into it with a song from the Sega CD launch lineup. Okay, no, 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 no. Cut, 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 cut. Oh. Um, I don't think that was our opening track, you. What? That's that's a it's it's a Sega CD game. It's it's one of the launch games. I I literally played it like thirty years ago when when it came out. I know, I know, but the lawyers insist that we stay away from the obvious stuff like that. Oh, I see. Because we put that up on like Spotify or something, and and they'll try to like uh, monetize it or something, right? Yeah, they'll send the police to our door. Yeah, and we'll get the the takedown letter. So yes, this episode is about the Sega CD, but it is uh, unfortunately not going to feature some of the um, some of the commercial songs that appear in Sega CD games. I guess all songs are commercial because they, they are technically being sold. But you know what I mean, like things that were actual uh, songs you would hear on the radio, perhaps. Sure. You know the thing about that, and I know we're we're skipping past a lot of our usual intro stuff. Is when I was thinking about this episode, I really wanted to include one of the uh, Mortal Kombat uh, techno remixes that are on the Sega CD version of Mortal Kombat, mm-hmm. but decided mm, maybe maybe I shouldn't do that. <laughs> okay, because that's another one. That's like that's like a real musician behind that. Um, when I say real musician, I mean like a guy with a record company that will sue you. Sure, sure. Well, let's go ahead and kick this thing off right. What is your actual first track of the day? Uh, my actual first track is uh, literally the first song I thought of when I thought of Sega CD music. Uh, this is from a game called Robo Aliste, and this is called track number three. Um, I, I can't find a more formal title for it. It's track number three, and the composer is... Katsumi Tanaka or Satoshi Shimizaka. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and kick the show off right.
Okay. Thank you for listening. This is Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2, C2E10, for October 20th, 2022. And as Hugh has said already, this is the 30th, celebra- 30th anniversary celebration of the Sega CD. So, how's it yeah. been going, Hugh? It's going pretty good. Yeah. All right. You know, enjoying a little bit of, uh, of the fall scenery out here. Um, recently finished playing uh, the Skyward Sword H- H- uh, HD remake. That's another outtake. Um, so I bought that like a year ago, and then my kids like took it from me. Okay. Uh, but they never finished it because the only Zelda game I think they both finished was like Breath of the Wild, and I think they figured out right away that Skyward Sword is a lot more limiting than Breath of the Wild. Uh-huh. And eventually gave up at some point. So um, I, it only took me like, I don't know, two weeks to play through. It's wow. not a very long game, really. You know, um, so the time I played through, and obviously we're talking about the original version of the game, I had a, yeah. I had a spate of, of temp jobs and unemployment. So I had periods where I wasn't working. And um, in the course of a, a few weeks, I got all the way through Skyward Sword, Twilight Princess, and Wind Waker. And wow. those are my first playthroughs of each of those. So it was a lot of Zelda all at once. Yeah, Wind Waker took me longer because I, I made a point to try and like do everything in the game. Mm-hmm. In Skyward Sword, I probably skipped quite a few things. Okay. Uh, it's, it's a game that's kind of easy to break because there's like invincibility potions, mm-hmm. right? And or, or ways you can create invincibility potions pretty easily. So like the last boss, you won't take damage against because okay. you can get a potion that, that's like six minutes of invincibility and it takes less than six minutes to defeat most of the bosses. Okay, wow. That makes me think of the final final part of the final battle of Super Metroid. And yeah, how, how visceral is that? I mean, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden you're, you're just throwing Mother Brain around like a ragdoll, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I think I yelled and cussed at the TV when that happened, you know. So, um... Well, so it's been it's been since August. What have you been up to? What's life been like for you? Um, it's been pretty good, you know. Uh, usual fall stuff with with kids, you know. Bring uh, one of my kids back to college, getting the other one started in high school. Probably she was in high school when we recorded last. I don't know. Um, just dealing with that that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, played played through Skyward Sword. I just got um, Legend of Heroes: Trails from Zero recently, and I've been playing that every night. And uh, that's about it. What have you been up to? Oh my gosh, a lot. Um, well, so the first thing I gotta say, and and listen, I think I'm listeners. I think I'm driving Hugh nuts with all this talk about the Steam Deck. So I'm gonna try to scale that back moving forward. But there's a couple important things I do have to say. Uh, first of all, a correction. I had said that it looked seemed like about forty percent of uh, Steam Deck users had flashed Windows on their on their machines. I think what we were dealing with instead was the loud minority effect on, on a Facebook group. I, I, I'm guessing 40 or 50% of the people on that group have done that. But then if you go look at the Steam hardware survey, it paints a very different picture. You know, instead of talking about 40% of people who put Windows on their Steam Deck, we're probably talking more like 5%. Yeah. You know, so it's a huge minority uh, of Steam Deck people who put Windows on it, which makes me happy because, again, the more... The more people, it's, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. On the on the one hand, I want 
people to be able to put windows on the Steam Deck if they want, because that eliminates a barrier to entry, right? Uh, but on the other hand, the more people do it, the more it undercuts the thing that has one of the things that's so important to me about the Steam Deck. It's moving gaming on Linux forward, right? So the more people put windows on it, the more that that weakens that. And so I'm very happy to hear that it's so few people who are actually doing it. I um, to I guess to borrow a, a political phrase from 15 years ago, I want Windows on Steam Deck to be safe, legal, and rare. <laughs> um, but the you gotta go back more than 15 years. I'm happy to break it to you. Oh uh, well, whatever. I um, okay, fine. Well, whatever. That <laughs> that. That's what I want Windows to be on Steam Deck. But anyway, the reason, the real reason I have to bring up the Steam Deck today is this episode is going to be at least partially produced on the Steam Deck. Uh, a number of the track, a number of the tracks were finessed and extended, and you know all the post processing and stuff on the Steam Deck. And while I'm not recording today on the Steam Deck, I'm recording on the big rig, um, the, the big gaming PC downstairs. My intention is to do the majority of the final episode production on the Steam Deck. So. You know, my goal is to have at least one episode completed, tax, title, license, everything on the deck. And that's not this episode, but this episode breaks the seal. This episode is where we start using the Steam Deck for producing episodes. And also, as you guys know, um, Hugh and I always, we meet twice per episode. You know, the second time we record our, we, we record it and edit it, and that's what you hear. But the first time we meet, we uh, we meet to sort tracks into run order and stuff. And... and um, that meeting happened over the Steam Deck. So Hugh got to see what my living room looks like instead of this dungeon of a basement. Um, apart from that, the only other thing I'd say about the Steam Deck is I'm actually starting to get real use out of it now. Like, I'm actually starting to spend real time playing it, which is something that I knew would happen, but I figured it would happen a lot sooner. Um, so yeah, I'm spending a lot of time with that now. Uh, outside of Steam Deck, let's see, what is new? Um, well, I suppose I'll talk about what I've been playing. I've been playing a lot of Vampire Survivors. Have you had a chance to play that yet? No, I have not. Okay, it's such a basic game you could run it on a non-gaming laptop from ten years ago. It's a uh, pixel graphics. It's uh, it's a, it's a horde game. Basically, you don't you just you just keep getting weapons and powering up, and there's just an unlimited horde of bad guys that come at you. And the idea is to survive uh, for a set period of time, and then face this this boss and it sounds really simple, and when you first start playing it, one of the things that's really jarring about it is you don't control the attack. The attack is uh, is handled automatically by the game, so it feels really weird and clunky at first. When I, I spent the first five minutes of the game thinking, why on earth would anyone like this? And then by the time I was done with my first game, I'm like, I understand exactly why everyone would love this. So I've just spent tons and tons of time on Vampire Survivors. Um, I've kind of come back to Cyberpunk just a little bit, but not enough to to really talk about that um a big thing okay a big thing that happened uh and the thing the reason that i finally actually made good on my my talks about doing some production work on the steam deck um my laptop died my main laptop just croaked and i ended up ordering a replacement motherboard off ebay and i put it in yesterday and it seems like it was the fix you know so far so good so i think i've saved the thing um that makes me feel i mean it's it wasn't a hugely complicated thing, but the fact that I managed to do it without screwing it up makes me feel really good. Have you ever had to do any like super intensive repairs to a laptop before? No, I, I just throw them out. Yeah, well, I thought about that. 
but this is this was a refurbished Dell Latitude 7480, and it's got 1440p screen. It's got um, Thunderbolt, you know, all that stuff. And I realized that if I wanted to have another laptop that had all of that stuff, I'm talking like 1,500 bucks, right? Which is out of the budget right now. So I took a chance on an $80 motherboard and $75 RAM, and between the two of them, it seems like it did the trick. So. Lucy or whatever the hell I would decide to name this thing rides again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was some, there was something else I was going to say related to that. Now I've, now I've blanked on it. So, um, we'll move on, but don't be surprised if we come back to it later on in the show. Um, so why don't you, why don't you talk about this track? You said this is the first track you thought of when we, the episode came up. So why was it the first thing you thought of? Um, because to me, this is like the most 16-bit CD song that, that exists. It's kind of hard to just, I know it's a weird way of putting it. Um, but, you know, in, in the 16-bit CD era, people got really um, experimental. Like, you could finally have um, real, I know that, that will offend people who love chiptune, and I, I'm one of those people. But I mean, like, real Redbook audio on your games. So mm-hmm. you could use, you weren't limited by what the hardware was. So, right. Um, Obviously, we appreciate Chip 2 music a lot on the show, but you could do a lot more now. And some people went really crazy with it. Um, some of the games have, you know, soundtracks that are just wildly inappropriate for the game. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Where it's, uh, this is not a real example, but it'll be like, here's a game set in the Old West with a techno soundtrack, right? Like, people will just do weird oddball things like that. But then sometimes people do something that, that kind of fits the feel of the game really well. Sure. And, and this is one of them. And uh, this song just has so many, like, it has a lot of changes and a lot of different instruments. It, mm-hmm. it kind of feels like you're, you're listening to, like, four or five. Like, if I just played this for you, you would think it was, like, four or five tracks from the game. What, well, I'll tell you what it really sounds like. What it really sounds like is one of your uh, soundtrack summary tracks, you know, where you're yeah. featuring a little bit of everything from the game. Yeah. Yeah, and the rest of this, the rest of the soundtrack is pretty good too. This is definitely a game where um, the soundtrack I think is better than the game itself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, this is just one that comes to mind right away. I, I have the soundtrack on while I'm working quite a bit. Um, obviously, we we featured uh, Jaguar for the Sega CD quite a bit on this show. Um, oddly, we we don't feature it on this episode, but there are a few Sega CD soundtracks like this that I I have on quite often. Hmm. Yeah, I'll say that, like, I'm I'm not quite willing to commit. I'm not quite willing to put this in stone. But I really feel like this early era of CD audio, the music, uh, you know, the Sega CD, the PC Engine CD, uh, maybe maybe getting into the Saturn and the PlayStation at the far end, um, is probably my favorite. Is possibly my favorite era in all of video game music. You know, yeah, because this is just where the lid blows off. You know, and before that, everyone, what everyone had to do was, was um, work within strict limitations of hardware. And that really resulted in some amazing stuff. Like you said, we really do love chiptunes. But this is where all of a sudden you didn't have those. And, and yeah, some people really went bonkers with it. I, uh, my go-to example, and I've, the way I've put it before, is people had a better grasp of what they could do with the technology than what they should do with the technology. Yeah. And there's plenty of examples of that. But, um, you know, the example I go to uh, for ridiculous use of CD audio technology in the early days is a long title 
from Escape from Monster Manor on the 3DO. Because they, it's supposed to be like this really spooky game, and they've got these spooky, this kind of spooky music. You've got like sound clips of people screaming and like some large wildcat roaring, you know. Um, and, and and then you've got, I think you're going for a Vincent Price kind of thing, but it's someone saying, "Tread carefully now," right? But it just, it doesn't sound professional, right? It sounds like they pulled Larry from my my generic go-to term is Larry from accounting. Like they just grabbed Larry from yeah. accounting to speak into the mic for this. Um, which actually, you know, uh, that track is going to appear in this month's Channel One. Um, that long title. It's. I've been. This is the episode that I said I did the music block to over four four years ago, almost four and a half years ago, and I'm finally getting it out. So, it's been a while since I've been so excited about a Channel One. Um, but that track makes an appearance in that episode. Um, and I do remember now the other thing I was going to say in the intro. So I guess I'll say it now. When we released our best of 2020 slash 2021 episodes back in June, I had said that I had a bunch. I was sitting on a bunch of outtake tracks for it, and I was going to try to get those done as super bonuses on archive before the end of September. And I did. Uh, I got the, they're all out. Uh, all three of them are out. Um, 50 tracks, 50 tracks, and 60 tracks. And you can go hear them on archive. I'm actually thinking about going and making like this big 12-hour thing where all of them are there, but we'll see if I get around to that. Uh, but I'm super, I'm super proud of it. You know, like, uh, you know, we had talked about the the best moment I've ever had as a podcaster was the moment I got to, I was asked to do an episode with NPR's Hearts of Space for the ambience of video game music, and then the best, the best, I guess, ongoing condition or ongoing circumstance that I've experienced as a podcaster, not to put you on the spot, Hugh, is getting to work with Hugh on Channel Two. But I had yeah. said previously that my my the moment. I was proudest of in my own, you know, in my own work as a podcaster was the back, the greater backtracks collection from 2020, which is all the stuff in reverse. Well, I think that this greater best of 2020 slash 2021 project is my new, my new personal favorite, my new high watermark, I feel. So that might actually be enough to motivate me to do that, that thing, but it will, if it comes out, it'll only come out on archive. So you'll have to be looking for it over there. I'm, you know, Hugh got 50 on the main feed. I got 50 on the main feed. We're calling it. We're going to keep it even on the main feed uh, from here on out. So anyway, that's what I w- had forgotten about. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with this track before we go on to my first one? No, no. But all your best of talk makes me realize if I'm going to post a Christmas feature this year, I better start working on it. Okay, we'll talk about it real quick. I don't have one. That's the problem. Usually on my website, I, I put out like one Christmas feature every year. Usually it's like a catalog or something. Okay. Um, I don't have anything this year. Hmm, I wonder if I have enough time to write one. Well, when oh, well. we get... Not your we... problem. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, not your problem at all. Um, what is, what's up next? Okay, yeah. So my first track is... Um, from Final Fight CD, which is an amazing port of Final Fight, probably the best home console port out there. And the track is called Westside Andori Cage Match Battle. Uh, the, 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 it was arranged by T's Music. I'll have, well, over the break, I'll go pull up the list of the com- original composers because it's just this huge collection of composers. So, uh, but anyway, I'll have that on the backside. Let's go ahead and give that a listen.
Okay, and that is Westside Andori Cage Match Battle from Final Fight CD, arranged by T's Music, and the list of original composers. It it could be any one of these people, or any, any combination of these people, but that's Harumi Fujita, Yasuaki Fujita, Manami Matsume, Yoshihiro Sakaguchi, Yoko Shimamura, Hiromitsu Takeoka, and or Junko Tamiya. What, do you, what does this track do for you, Hugh? Um, you know... I keep thinking that the vocalist is, is the person that did Rolling Start from Daytona USA. I, I oh. know it's probably just a sample. like It's probably just like a, a synth um, voice. But just it has that sort of um, Daytona USA feel to it, for lack of a better term. Um, I know it's a Sega CD, but something about this song sounds like a Saturn game to me. Okay. I don't know why I, I, I put that way, but it feels more like mid-90s cd game um like you said each era kind of has their own sound and um yeah this feels like it would be on a maybe again maybe it's the voice that's throwing me off but it feels like it would be a racing game okay i mean i can i could hear it working in a racing game now see i hear what you're what you're saying about um the vocal sounding like um oh gosh i remember the guy's last name mitsuyoshi the guy who did the uh did the track David Leitza did the lyrics, and then uh, Mis- um, Mitsuyoshi-san did the music and the vocals. Um, I hear that, but what I get more of it is kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, generic urban. Okay. You know, but I love it. It adds so much flavor to this piece. It adds so much energy to it, you know? Um, without saying a word besides come on. <laughs> Or well, no, I guess he does say something else there. But um, I just love the intensity of this track. You know, it's it's there. I mean, you know the 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 kind of James Brownish haze. You know, um, yeah. Uh, there's just so much energy and exuberance to this track, and then you've got kind of the kind of the funky instrumentals behind it. I love this track. I really do love this track. Um, yeah, and T's it. music is is a name you're going to see a lot in this era. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that name is on probably a dozen PC Engine CD games. Yeah. So I I don't know if you can track down who it, might, it could be just one person, right? Um, or it could be a team. It's it's kind of unclear who is behind T's music. Maybe it's really well documented somewhere that I'm I'm missing, but I, I don't really recall seeing a, a write up on who these people are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you've played Final Fight CD, I trust. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm not like, like huge on, uh, you know, brawler games, but I played it. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's great. When um, when we had Trey Johnson from Nintendo Main and WART Radio in Des Moines uh, recently, he, we were hanging out at our house and we were playing 32X and and Sega CD because I don't think he's ever played those in person. And uh, one of the things we did spend a bunch of time playing Final Fight CD, and he was really impressed with it. He's like the you know, the, I love the music. The graphics on this are really good, and and uh, you know, it's basically it's well, it's large, it's larger sprites and denser DPI. You know, that's what that'll do for you on a tube TV. Um, <clears throat> but but um, now, I think we talked about this privately, and I think you said you're not, but you're not buying the mod, you're not going to buy the Model Two Genesis Mini. I am not. Okay, okay. Well, I've got my mine reserved. Uh, this is this game is actually going to be on it. Yeah, I think I have this game. So, um, 
I, I was so bad when I say I think I have this game because I, I don't. I have all my Sega CD games on a shelf over here, um, mm -hmm. but I think I actually have this one loose, so I think it's in the CD wallet. Um, okay. Yeah, the the new Sega CD thing. I I don't know. The only games I wanted for it are not in English. They were they were games that were localized by Working Designs. I don't know who owns that IP anymore, but clearly they weren't able to get their English translations on the U.S. version. So. You, you have a couple of really great RPGs on there, but you can't really play them in English. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for all for all the talk of, hey, I want to learn Japanese anyway, let's use a Japanese RPG to learn Japanese. Uh, the fact that I've owned Samurai Spirits RPG on the Neo Geo CD for 20 years, almost, almost 18 years, um, and have never spent more than 20 minutes with it, <laughs> Nothing has come of that talk so far. Is my point? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if RPG immersion is the best way to uh, learn a foreign language. I suppose it would not. certainly lead to some weird conversations if you did somehow manage to to learn the language that way. Because <laughs> you'd always talk like an RPG protagonist, which maybe doesn't work as well in real life. <laughs> I see what I'm thinking is what I'm laughing about is thinking about like what would it be like to order a coffee as a <laughs> as, as like a like a, an RPG hero or like an anime character <laughs> yeah yeah and they never just order a coffee you know there's always like a bunch of prompts in between like are you sure you would like to order a coffee right mm -hmm. and in your conversation at the coffee shop in Japan would probably not go that way and they would just eventually speak to you in English once they realized you <laughs> didn't know what you were doing <laughs> oh man that's a I love that visual that's a hilarious visual um <clears throat> well, okay. So, what's your next track? Uh, let's go with uh, Spider-Man track 8. This probably has um, a name also, uh, but I did not look it up. And uh, this is Spencer Nilsson and or David Young.
Spider-Man, Sega CD. I think uh, we have had songs from Spider-Man before. Oh, we have. Yes. Yes. Um, Swing Time was in... Uh, my goodness, what episode was it? Oh, that was uh, our first episode of Season 2. That was uh, Fast Music for Slow Times. Yeah. And that's... Um, it, actually, these tracks are not that different. I mean, they're sort of rockish tracks. Um, fits, this, fits the feel of the game really well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I haven't played too much Spider-Man. Jeez, uh, you know, I was, growing up as a kid, I don't really remember Spider-Man being like in pop culture that much. I think it, he kind of had a resurgence during the '90s comic book boom. Yeah, yeah, he was he was not quite as he was not quite as present in the '80s. He was big in the '70s, which is you know, if you go back and look at that, that's painful almost. And then and then you um, see him in the '90s again. And then he's never really kind of left since the 90s. Yeah, I know there's a new movie called Spider-Man like every five years. <laughs> um, I've only seen the uh, one from like 2002, maybe? 2003? If anyone's listening... that first one came out. Yeah, Tobey Maguire? Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. If anyone's listening to this who has collected all of the movies throughout history called Spider-Man, let us know. And let us know which one's your favorite. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure they're good. I've never been like huge into superhero movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, when I was a kid, I liked Superman, that kind of stuff. But you know, um, mm-hmm. not not my thing too much now. Well, so for us growing up, we had um, I don't know if you'll remember this, but do you remember the Marvel comic cards? They were like made by Fleer, the same people who would make like baseball or football cards, but they were comic yeah, book cards. Yeah, this was this would have been later though, right? Like, well, no. Like, well, the first one came. The first series came out in 1990, and then it was like there were five series in total, and one each year. And I okay. and, and we collected them, and in a box in the attic somewhere is a binder with all of them. I still okay. have them. So, and I also collected Jim Lee's X Men comic cards, and I have like the first two series. There might have only been two series of DC comic cards. The uh, these days, I think I'm a slightly bigger DC fan than Marvel, but. Um, in the comic cards front, I think Marvel was far and away the better comic card uh, thing than DC was. Anyone, anyone who uh, who disagrees with that, though, I'd certainly be interested in hearing hearing why you disagree with that. So, um, so what me what led you to this track in particular out of the Spider-Man soundtrack? Um, you know, I I don't know. I I listened to everything on there, and um. I just kind of like this one best. Okay. I, I so some of the songs I I mean there are, there are some really good songs that there there are some that are kind of irritating on that soundtrack, like super like there are some kind of maybe for shorter stages I don't know but they come across as really repetitive. This one you know feels like a, a kind of full song like it's got different you know different sections and it doesn't really repeat too much so mm-hmm. um, it just kind of stuck out as one one that I like. This is not a soundtrack I listen to very often. I, I don't have this one on much. Okay. Um, yeah, I remember what I I remember. See, back, you know, we should probably take a minute to talk about our Sega CD stories. You know, our history with Sega CD, and mine's rel- that's relevant to this game for me. But so you go first. What was your kind of your onboarding to the Sega CD story like? Well, at, at that point, I I had been working at an electronics boutique store for like an entire month. Okay. And the Sega CD launched while I was there. Um, and a bunch of other systems in the, in the years I worked there. And uh, 
you know, there was a lot of, lot of promo, a lot of hype for it. Um, I could not possibly afford one at the time. Uh, but I was kind of curious about it. You know, I'd seen a TurboGrafx CD at that point. Thought, mm-hmm. okay, that's overall a pretty good system. So Sega CD is probably going to be, you know, roughly the, the same ballpark. Um, I was kind of kind of surprised by like the launch lineup, how um, for like how many FMV games there were in the beginning. Like it seemed like, you know, in the Turbo Graphics in, in America, there were two or three FMV games, probably only two at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sega CD just came right out of the gates with a whole bunch, you know, Sewer Shark and Night Trap and Sherlock Holmes and. Uh, make my video, all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it seemed like they were trying to do more, like, like I don't I would call it grown-up games, but, you know, like, like I always thought of FMV games as being, like, PC games, mm-hmm. you know, for, for older gamers at that point. Um, clearly, like, you know, make my videos not for older gamers, but uh, it, it kind of seemed like a weird market they were going after at first. And it seems sort of weird to me that they didn't have a lot of franchise titles at the beginning. Mm-hmm. That, that right. they didn't open up with, like, here's a Sonic game, or... Um, I know, like, Sonic was not as big in 1992 um, as, as it would eventually be. Um, but it didn't have anything that was really like, hey, this is this is a Sega-branded IP at launch. Sure. So I thought that was kind of weird. And, yeah, we, we hooked one up at the store and tried some of the games, and we're like, okay, well... $300. I don't really know if it's if it's worth it just yet. Uh, I did get one later when it had the side loading model. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that still works today somehow. And I mostly played, I mean, I don't say mostly, but like most of my time on it was like, you know, the Lunar Games, which are, which are RPGs, or uh, Stancher. Played through that on there. Okay. You know, maybe I fire up Sonic CD once a year just for fun. Mm-hmm. But that's most of, most of my time playing it. Um, and then, of course, once I found out about this this technology called MP3, I realized, hey, wait a minute, I could put like all the soundtracks on my you know hundred gig hard drive with, with room to spare, right? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I put them all on the zip disk first. I don't remember. Uh, so uh, that's why I got into kind of you know ripping a lot of Sega CD soundtracks and and listening to them. I have, I just I probably have a rip of almost every Sega CD game. Okay, that's awesome. I don't own every Sega CD game, but I have, through one, you know, through various means, have acquired uh, the soundtracks to every Sega CD game. Well, that's a. I mean, gosh, if you're if that's if you're going to pick one system to have every soundtrack for, it, Sega CD is a really strong contender. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I guess if Shoutcast was a thing, I could set up like a Shoutcast station. <laughs> That'd be cool. I don't think anyone uses that anymore. I I I think I've heard the name the word the name before, but I don't think I've ever done anything with it. Um, it's funny you mentioned, though, putting CDs, soundtracks on an MP3 player, because in about 2007, now, of course, I was familiar with the, the North American Sonic CD soundtrack all the way back in 1993, which is when I first experienced Sonic CD, which I, I don't want to spoil too much of that story, because I'll get to my Sega CD story in a moment, but it was around 2006, 2007, 2005, somewhere in there, that I first encountered the European and Japanese Sonic CD soundtrack. Right, so that was new to me. Let's say 2005, 2007, somewhere in that window. And at the time, I just happened to have it was, and it it was an iPod clone, but it had more features than the iPod. It was Creative Labs something something. It was this great big bulky silver thing, right? Yeah. Um, and 
I had both the U.S. and the Japanese Sonic CD soundtracks on it, and I tortured or tortured my poor family making them listen to them like all right so here's the u.s version okay so here's the japanese version which one do you like better and why you know and they're just kind of like they're all too polite to just say john just leave me alone <laughs> but, you know uh and it was so weird to, it was like this parallel universe that had always been there but had never been there to me right so <clears throat> so i can definitely relate to that that story um my sega cd story now at, at, we've We've mentioned this on the show before, um, but there's a five-year age difference between us. And so when you were, you know, when you were late teens working at a game store, I was pre-teens or early teens, you know, the punk kid in middle school. Um, and yeah. and uh, there was this, now I don't know if it was a national chain, a regional chain, or, or hell, even a local chain, but there was this chain of video stores called Movies to Go. And they had an, a, an offshoot game store called Games to Go, right? And they had you know, five or six of them around the metro, the Des Moines metro. And and uh, what we did is we went in and we traded in. It was, of course, an extortionist trade situation. But we traded in just a ton of Nintendo and Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis games to get the Sega CD. And this is 1993. And we got a handful of Sega CD games, and we were playing it. It really did feel like the future to us at the time. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everything from Sonic CD to uh, to Final Fight CD to, to the Batman CD game Spider Man, which is why it's relevant to this this story, and um, Sewer Shark and Sherlock Holmes. So I had some of the FMV games too, you know, and and um, it just it really did feel like the future. Um, you know this incredible music, these full motion videos. Now the full motion videos seem ridiculous to us now, as you know, grainy and low color, and they felt just a small part of the screen. But at the time, it was like, you know, my God, this is next level. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and and so yeah, I've had the Sega CD ever since. And I remember it was. I don't think I actually. I don't think I had the Spider Man's game right up front. I think we got that more like '94 because. Summer of 94, I got braces on. And I remember, you know, spending a lot of time in front of the games there because I couldn't really do a whole lot else. And that's what this soundtrack makes me think of is those days. Uh, but, you know, nowadays, I'm a real lukewarm when it comes to hard rock and heavy metal. But at the time, that was my main theme, right? And so to have this kind of music for a kid new to the technology and into with those musical proclivities, this was like... I mean, God, it was almost like religion. <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, um, it just blew my blew my mind. And 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 because it was so impactful to me as a kid, I don't know that it would ever. I don't know that I would ever be able to make it not be impactful, right? You know, I mean, it still yeah. feels still feels impactful to me. Um, when about did you come upon this game? Would you say? Oh, it would have been later too. Yeah, I mean, I bought a lot of games. You know, when you work in the game store, you have the advantage of getting first dibs on games when they get cleared out mm-hmm. so i would have got this pretty late like around the time we were dumping all the sega cd games it was around the time i quit working there too so i, I would have got it late which also means i probably didn't play it for five years okay so um this was not like a you know a, a game i experienced when it was new sure okay um, that's probably true for like half the games on this list like there, there are things where i'm looking yeah there are a few games i played when they were new but Maybe half and half. I play. I played when they're new, and one or two that are still backlog games for me. Let me think. Let me look real quick at the games on this list to see how many I've played. 
Okay, let's see. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I played exactly half of the games in today's show. Okay. So, and they're not all mine. <laughs> they're not all my games. So there's games in my list that I haven't played. And, and so, so my next game is a game that I've never played. I, I played, I think I played it for like five minutes in the arcade one time, and then I've, I don't think I've played it on any home system. But that game is Lethal Enforcers. And, and we are going to hear a track called Rolling Bad Guys. And the composer is Kenichiro Fukui.
Okay, and that's Rolling Bad Guys from Lethal Enforcers, composed by Kenichiro Fukui. Hugh, um, so something amazing happened over the break here. Um, I had just added a game to my Steam wish list this morning, a game called Cloudpunk. It's kind of like a cyberpunk-themed delivery game, right? And it was only it was only seven, it was on sale for only seven bucks. I almost bought it, um, and right as we went into the break, I got a pop up from Steam. Uh, someone re- I received a gift, Cloudpunk, NNR, Fly the N, best wish, best wishes, a fan. But it says who the user is. It's user Baron PVC. So Baron PVC, when you hear this episode, I figured the least I could do for your for your kind gift is to actually shout you out. So thank you, and you're welcome. Um, so now, uh, Hugh, uh, what does this track do for you? Um, well, you know, Lethal Enforcers is a little bit of a... Okay, well, I guess it's, it's kind of a, a triggering game title for me. Um, because if you worked in a game store back in the day, right, Lethal Enforcers came in these giant boxes that uh, you could never find a place to store. Oh, because they had the gun packed in. Because they had the gun, yeah. And the Sega CD version, like we had the Sega Genesis version, the Sega CD version... Um, of course, if you owned both, you were going to buy the CD version, right? Um, I think we, but overall, more people had the Genesis than, than the Sega CD, you know, without the Sega CD than with it, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. So um, we got stuck with a lot of those CD boxes, I remember. I remember those sticking around for quite a while. And that's, this is one I did not buy on clearance also because I uh, I don't, I don't like in games are okay, but I, I don't, it's not something I fire up very often, so I didn't buy this to get the menacer and i think that that gun works with a few other games i think it works with snatcher but you can also play snatcher just fine without the light gun and it might work with like corpse killer there's some light gun that works with corpse killer it's probably this one but maybe you have to get yet a different light gun to play that okay okay but yeah this is one I, i probably played this arcade once or twice um i if i played a home version it would have been at like midwest gaming classic Okay. And, you know, now that I think about it, uh, we, we had mentioned Games to Go. Uh, we were in there a lot, and they had display kiosks set up. So it's always possible I played it on a display, at a display kiosk at Games to Go. But the point is I never owned a game, and I never played it at anyone's house and never rented it or anything. So I, I might have technically touched it at some point, but I didn't, you know, I didn't. Um, I don't recall playing it on a home version. Yeah, I mean, I've always found the home light gun games don't work very well. I, I guess newer on newer systems it's different because you're not relying on like the flash mechanic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've never really had great uh, success with with home uh, light gun games. Um. So, I think I mean the game, the only game, the only home console light game that I've played with any 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 time into is is duck hunt okay and you know wyatt likes to play he wants to come downstairs and play the old game systems and he loves duck hunt he's no good at it whatsoever but um i'm not a gun guy i'm not a big gun guy but i have a friend who who is and he's he's talked me into going to the range once or twice and and what i learned is how to use the site right you know and so once i tried using the site on the zapper all of a sudden my luck got a lot better so you know, if you just kind of aim, like point what's intuitively at the screen, you're usually aiming too high. But if you are looking down the sight, all of a sudden your odds are better. So, um, but 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't think I've ever used the Super Scope 6. I don't know that I've ever used uh, the Genesis light gun, you know, or I, they don't. They do have a light gun for the Genesis, right? Yeah, there were a couple different ones made. I don't think there was a, this is the problem. I don't think there was like a standard one. I think the okay. Menacer became kind of the de facto standard because okay. that's what most people had. But I, I think there was, I probably should have done a little more homework on this or, or dusted off my brain. But I think at least <laughs> one other company made a light gun. Sega did not make a light, Sega made a light gun for the Master System. Yeah, yeah, I have that. But they did not make one for the Genesis. Okay. Yeah, Minister is the name I was thinking. I, I almost said it and then I stopped myself just in case that was like way wrong and, st and stupid. But no, it was the Minister I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, and it was... So the, the Minister... Okay. We might have to do like a big revisionist thing. So the Minister was made by Sega, right? Did I have okay. this wrong? Uh... The, the Menacer, what was the thing included with Lethal Enforcers? And it wasn't the Menacer. I'm going to go to the Google. Okay, so the, oh, the Justifier. That's, jeez, we got to do a big do over. Um, <laughs> no, I like it. Was the, the I like Justifier was the thing that was included with Lethal Enforcers. And the Menacer was the one Sega made, but I don't mm. really remember anything for it i think i thought the meta the i keep calling the wrong thing the justifier is the thing that was actually used by by most games well so what wikipedia says and i'm not going to read the whole thing i'll just read the first sentence or two but the minister is the light gun peripheral released by sega 92 for the genesis and sega cd video game consoles it was created in response to nintendo super scope and as a successor to the Sega's Master System Light Phaser. Uh, the only game I see them mentioning, Sega also released a Minister bundle with Terminator 2, the arcade game. Okay. Whereas the Justifier works with Lethal Enforcers 1 and 2, Snatcher, Crime Patrol, Mad Dog McCree, Mad Dog 2, and Who Shot Johnny Rock. Okay. Okay. So that that's why I said like the thing that came with Lethal Enforcers was like the de facto standard because more games supported it than the Menacer, which I incorrectly called the Justifier. Okay. Okay. No, I'm not going to edit any of this out. I love I love this. Okay. We kind of just had to learn it on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I sort of forgot the Menacer. I, I I merged the Menacer and the Justifier into like one device. Um, probably because the Menacer game was was a total flop. Yeah, I guess that's the thing. Game. Like, when if if you want to create, if if for whatever reason you're a game publisher and you want to create the standard light gun for a game system, just bundle it with your game, right? That's what mm -hmm. Konami did, and they they became the standard bearer for it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, but wouldn't you have? And and I don't know this. This is just speculation on my part. But wouldn't you have the same situation happen over on the Super Nintendo side with the justifier for Lethal Enforcers and the Super Scope? No, because I think the Super Scope came out first. Yeah, maybe. I yeah, I think Nintendo released the Super Scope beforehand. I have a Super Scope. I mean, I have a Super Scope in box. I've never really hooked it up. I guess I should just sell that thing finally. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's kind of different. Super Scope was, was maybe not at launch, but I thought that was a pretty early accessory. Okay. 
And of course, Nintendo's kind of a bully, so Nintendo could just be like, hey, Konami, you're not, you know, if, if you want to uh, release a shooting game, it has to support Super Scope. And, and Sega does, doesn't operate that way. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right about that dynamic there. I'm going to force myself not to say anything else about that because uh, that would add 10 minutes to the show. So, um, yeah, yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's go on to track number six. Yes. From not yes. a shooting game. Um, the one and only Falcom game on Sega CD, unless there's something in Japan that I'm totally blanking on. And as, um, as we've seen, I have been blanking on stuff this episode. Uh, this is Popful Mail. Uh, composer is... Uh, Miko Ishikawa, who I believe has worked on every Falcom game in some capacity, with the CD version arranged by Hirofumi Matsuka, and this is called Iceberg. So Popful Mail, something that will be on that uh, Sega CD uh, Mini 2 or whatever it's called, uh, but in Japanese. So good luck with that. There is a U.S. release, but it is like $500. So isn't Popful Mail basically, I mean, we said not a shooter in terms of, we were thinking in terms of Lethal Enforcer, but isn't it kind of a shmup? No, it is uh, more of an action RPG. Oh, okay. All right. So what am um, I thinking? Oh, I'm thinking of cotton. I'm thinking of like You are cotton. thinking of cotton, yes. Okay. All right. 
No, okay. Popful Mail is a, is an action RPG, and I believe the only English release is the Sega CD version. It's on Super Nintendo and PC Engine CD also. Uh, okay. Yeah, PC Engine CD, and they're, I'm 99% sure this is a Super Nintendo version, um, but they're Japanese only. Okay. Okay. Well, one thing I really like about this track is it's using the bass Genesis sound hardware. Now, I'd have to plug it into audio overload to make to be sure, but it's possible this percussion is using the Sega CD sound chip. This might not be gen it it sounds just bad enough that it could be Genesis, but it sounds just good enough that it might not be. So I'd have to plug it into audio overload. Um to be sure. But the rest of the instruments are absolutely positively one hundred percent YM twenty six twelve. You know, the thing about this um, is there's many, like I said, there's many different soundtracks for this mm -hmm. game because it's on multiple mm -hmm. systems. I think they're all on Spotify. I think you can get every version of the soundtrack on there for free. And this is not, I don't, this isn't even my favorite track from the game. I mean, I, I like it, obviously. Uh, but I think there are, there are stronger tracks just they've been featured on other episodes. Okay. Okay. Well, I like it. I think it's yeah. great. I, um... It's actually awfully rambunctious for map music, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. But that's, you know, if you play like um, East 3, it's the same thing. Like, their their map music is, is it feels like an overworld theme. Okay, okay. Well, I guess it's kind of over-overworld. Um, so that makes sense. You know, and yeah. I know of wackier, I know of more rambunctious map music than this. Uh, you've got, you've got... Um, well, a, a game we're going to hear from later this episode um, that has map music that's a lot more rambunctious than this. So I won't say anything about that for now. I just, um, yeah, I really like the vibe of this track. And then I like that we're listening to Genesis audio on the Sega CD, which I know is not unheard of. In fact, we're going to have one more track this episode that does that. So um, let's see. Oh, you know, speaking of speaking of non-CD audio uh, sound chip sound or sound chip music, our next track uses the sound chip that's built into the Sega CD. The um, let's see if I can remember this. The Rico RF C one sixty four, I think it is. It's I'm very close. If that if I don't have it just right, I'm very close to that. So um, we are going to hear the past theme from Wacky Workbench on the Sega CD, and I will have the composer on the flip side. So let's dig in.
Okay, and that's Wacky Workbench, past theme from Sonic CD, on, on, obviously on the Sega CD. And the composers for this track are Naofumi Hataya and or Masafumi Ogata. And here's the fun thing. Um, so the Jap- we were talking about the Japanese version versus the U.S. version of the soundtrack. And, and it's this weird thing where the U.S. version doesn't have a completely unique soundtrack, right? Because the Japanese soundtrack are composed by Naofumi Hataya and or Masafumi Ogata, for both the present, past, future themes. And the American version, or the North American version, only the present, future, the present, future tracks, or stages get their own tracks, right? So uh, the U.S. soundtrack is composed by Spencer Nelson and uh, and Mark Crew and, and Pastiche and David Young. <clears throat> but the past themes are retained from the Japanese version because... The past themes are not Redbook audio. The past themes are not CD audio. The past themes are using the Rico sound chip in the Sega CD. And I, I can only presume that it was too much work to go in and change the the actual game code rather than the CD audio. So they left the past themes. And that's why, if anyone only played the US version and thought, why? So the, the present and future music sound like each other, but the past music sounds like something completely different. Why is that? Well, it's because they're, the, they're carryovers from the Japanese soundtrack. If you listen to the Japanese soundtrack, the past theme, the present theme, the future theme all sound alike, right? So you are actually hearing a sample of the Japanese soundtrack when you go into the past, the past time uh, in in the U.S. version. So, um, but anyway, I love this. I love this. This is it's so it's dancey, it's disco-y, you know. It's um, I love those kind of chords that just ring out. Those, you know. What does this track do for you? Um. Yeah, I, I think you kind of nailed it. I I mean, it's a very upbeat song, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely, I mean, you could play this. If, if I'd never heard before, I would just sort of know it's from a Sonic game. It, okay. It just sort of, it feels like it could be in any of the Sonic games to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, you know, there, there's a there's a distinct sort of Sonic soundtrack feel, and it, this, this definitely has it. Um, I like it, yeah. I mean, I was never very awesome at this game it's it's still one of my favorite sonic games but i've never finished it okay okay um maybe with like save states or something i could i could get around to it it's, it's the water stages or like the poison water stages or whatever those, those always get me oh that's uh that's kind of world three isn't it yeah but i think is there a later one too um i uh, i can't remember i can get maybe into like world five or something is as far as i can go Okay, it's been so long since I played Sonic CD. I've played through it. I played through it all the way on the in the on this actual Sega CD, and then yeah. in like 2011 or 2012, Christian Whitehead re-released it on like Xbox 360 and Android and all that stuff. And I played through it that way too. Um, <clears throat> but it's been since probably 2012 that I played through Sonic CD. So I'm a little I'm a little hazy on the levels, but I don't remember there being. And I think there might have been like a water component briefly to the last level, last world in the game, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm gonna have to just say I don't know. So any listener who's just like cringing right now, feel free to blow us up with the details on that. Um, but I would say comparing comparing the U.S. soundtrack to the to the Japanese soundtrack, I would say in a vacuum, I like them both equally. Right, like whichever of the two I'm listening to at the moment is my favorite in the moment, right? 
and of course, this, the U.S. version is Spencer Nelson, who, who, as you know from our four favorite composers episode, is one of my all-time favorite composers. I absolutely adore Spencer Nelson. Um, but I think as music, the two are a draw for me. But as a Sonic soundtrack, oh my God, this, the Japanese version is a thousand times better. The Japanese version actually sounds like a Sonic game, whereas the U.S. version, Spencer's kind of doing his own thing, you know, like, there's nothing really Sonic about the U.S. version of Sonic CD soundtrack. Wouldn't you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. I was yeah. just thinking that it's actually pretty trivial to make a, a hack of any CD game with Redbook Audio to replace the audio. Oh, sure. Sure. If you wanted to do your own alternate Sega Sonic CD soundtrack. That would be a fun project. Um, that'd be a fun project. And I know... I guess it's not really related, but um, there was this weird quirk with Ridge Racer and the PlayStation where it loaded the entirety of the game into ROM or into RAM, and then it only accessed the CD for the audio. So what you could do is you could open once the game is loaded, you could take the the Ridge Racer CD out oh, and yeah. put in any music CD you wanted, and it would play music from that music CD. Oh yeah, that sounds um, that's interesting. Well, so it's not perfect though because it's no it's it, the 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 RAM tells it to go to a certain point in the CD for the track, right? And of course, a music CD isn't going to match that, right? So you might only get the last three seconds of a song and then uh, silence. So it's going to a, it's a time on the CD, not a track number. Right, right, right. And so, but I remember I had a a Christmas jazz CD, and I loved. I just got such a huge kick out of taking Ridge Racer out and then putting this Christmas jazz music in and then playing Ridge Racer to that. So, um. I don't think I have anything else to say about this track, though. I just, I, it's, I love it. I, this, it, if if this doesn't make our best of Channel 2, Season 2, this is absolutely going to make our best of Channel 1, uh, or our best of uh, 2022 in, on Channel 1. So, um, but I think we can move on. What's your next track? Uh, yeah, so this is from a game I have not played, um, Ernest Evans. So I, I don't recall if this got, I don't think it's got a U.S. release. I think this was a, a EU release. Uh, I don't think Ernest Evans ever had much of a presence in the U.S. And uh, this is track 25, which I believe is the ending track, um, mostly because it's like the last song, but also it sounds like an ending track. Okay. And it's uh, Moto Sakuruba and Hiroki Atoy. Again, apologies for butchering that. <laughs> and uh, let's fire it up.
Yeah, Ursense, does this sound like an ending track to you? Like credits or some kind of scene at the end, you know, good guy has uh, defeated evil and is riding off into the sunset. Yes, as a matter of fact, it makes me think of like, I see credits rolling. Yeah. It's kind of why I picked this one. I, I'm not real familiar with this game and I haven't listened to the soundtrack a ton, but while I was just kind of flipping through different soundtracks, I, I hit this one and thought, man, this is a pretty, it's a pretty nice track here. Okay. Yeah, it's you know, a it is a nice track. It kind of picks up about halfway through, and uh, yeah, this if this isn't the ending, I don't know what else it could be. I mean, this is not like you're running through the jungle kind of of episode. Well, you know I, I mean, when, yeah. Well, the YouTube video you sent me for this uh, soundtrack, this is the ending track. After this is just continue music and game over music. Yeah. So this is the end credits, and you had mentioned this not being released in the U.S. and and technically you're right. The Sega CD version of Ernest Evans never came out in America. But what they did is they re, they, they did release Ernest Evans in, in America as a Sega Genesis game. Yeah, yeah, I remember that because it had like a blatant Indiana Jones cover. Yeah, right. Well, Ernest Evans is the anime Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, except he has a whip because why not, <laughs> you know? Well, sure. didn't Indy have an? Didn't Indy have a whip too? He did. Yeah, yeah. Right from the beginning. Remember, throw yeah. me the idol. I, I throw you the whip. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. I think right, that's yeah. literally like the cover. Of Ernest Evans is like a, a reenactment of a scene similar to that. It I is. Think he has an idol and a whip in the, uh, in the box art. So what surprised me, and I was, when we were putting the show together, I looked at the Wikipedia for this. Is this is actually part of a trilogy of games? Did you know that? Yeah, it's connected to, I think it's, um, oh, what's the other one? It's El Viento, mm-hmm. and I don't remember the other one. Well, so the other one I didn't know existed uh, until I had looked this up. The other one is Anet Futabi. Oh, yeah, because that, that's definitely not a U.S. release game. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, so El Viento was uh, Sega Genesis in both regions. Ernest Evans was Genesis in America and Sega CD in Japan. And then... Anet Futabi was only Japan and only Sega CD. But somehow they're all connected. Yeah. yeah. And I certainly was familiar with El Viento. Uh, I didn't know about that. Um, but, and you know, as much as I like the, the Sega CD version of the uh, Ernest Evans soundtrack, I actually like the Genesis version even better. Um, like the stage two music... Uh, I don't know if I've ever encountered a piece of video game music that was more 90s The Weather Channel local on the 8s than Stage okay. 2 from the Genesis version of Ernest Evans. It's just perfect for that vibe. Um, <clears throat> but I've never played the game. Have you played the game? No, no. Maybe I tried it once, but I, I really don't have any memory of playing it. Okay. Have you seen videos of it at least? Nope. Nope, I probably have done that well so the game the the design of the game is so weird i mean there's this really kind of weird ragdoll physics to the character like like every limb is its own sprite that operates independently of the rest it's almost i mean god it's almost like a proto vector man in terms of how flexible the character is okay you know um is it like what's that game qwop is it like that I hate to say it, I have no idea what game you're talking about. <laughs> oh, it's a little QWOP. It's a it's a 
it was a flash game or something i'm gonna look it up oh okay so i'm seeing qwop now uh, a still picture of it it's hard to tell from a still picture but you know yeah i yes i get the from the still picture i get the impression that the the physics would be very similar to that All right, so what do we have next? We have uh, another game that I've never played. It's um and I I'm pretty sure this got a US release, but it was Japanese for sure. It's uh it's a uh, Track 7 from KO Flying Squadron and the composer is Sukasa Tawada.
Okay, and that's track seven from KO Flying Squadron on the Sega CD, composed by Tsukasa Tawada. I really need to stop saying on the Sega CD. That's just a given on this episode. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of which, do we have a name for this episode? Uh, I don't know. Well, I mean, we will eventually. Yeah, yeah. Could but, be well, is... to the, it could be it could be walking to the next level. It could be uh, jump, jump. I don't know. See, well, this is your episode. You get the final say. What I was thinking is, uh, uh, Henex to level thirty. You know, playing on wel- welcome to the next level, but it looks like welcome may taught Henex to level. Maybe, yeah. Well, you get the or, final or, say. Or the one where we don't remember the difference between the justifier and the menacer. <laughs> I mean, we could we could call it that. I mean, if that's what you if that's what you say, that's what it's called. That, then that's what it's called. Maybe too long of a title, you know. Um, we will see. Yeah, justifier menacer or menacing justifier. I don't know. Well, let's let's uh, let's ha- let's settle on a tentative one. And if we don't think of something better, that will be the fallback. Do we want to just say oh, welcome great. to the next level? Uh, this this is a lot of pressure for me. I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, remember, you're not bound to this. This is just if we don't think of anything better. This is the fall. Yeah, I was just going to call it Sega CD 30th anniversary, but that's how about Sega I'm very, CD 30? I'm very bland Se- like that. Sure. Well, what? How about Sega CD 30? If we don't think of something better. Okay. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, so, what does this track do for you? Well, this is not like I. I really like the soundtrack to this game, but it doesn't sound like a shooter to me. I, I realize it's more of a what, what they call cute 'em up. Hmm. Hmm. So. It, it sounds more like, you know, village in an RPG to me than a, a shoot 'em up It seems a little too rambunctious for a village. Yeah. I mean, I could see it not being a shooter. I could see it not being a shooter, but I really can't see it being a village. Okay. Yeah, I can see it as being like an old, uh, like sort of Chinese-inspired village. It's definitely got a very strong Asiatic feel to it. A lot of black keys on this one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love it. And what I love about it is it goes so many different places. You know, this is, we talk about some of these early Sega CD games or some of these Sega CD games almost being like mini soundtracks, right? And, and this definitely does that, you know, I mean, and my favorite parts of it are actually the more mellow parts of it, you know? Um, like, I don't think we're close enough to the next mellow moment where we can wait and say, oh, this. But yeah, yeah. The, the more mellow moments of the piece are the the ones that are my favorite parts of the whole thing. I could see this being, you know what? We were talking about this not sounding like a shooter game. What I could see this being like is a side-scrolling beat-em-up in like a Chinatown. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Like, I mean, heck, it could even be like, so there, imagine there's a Chinatown stage in Final Fight. You know, it could, it could be that. Yeah, yeah, like you, you punch a, a dumpster and there's some dumplings inside that you, you need to gain health, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Trash can bow. There we go. Trash bow. Um, <laughs> yep. Um, okay, well, I've never played this game, so I don't have a frame of reference. Have you played it? Uh, just a little bit. I, I'm just a little bit. Okay. Okay. Um, this May is I a under- game. You know, if if you go to any game convention and they have a Sega CD set up, this is very frequently a game they have in there. Okay. This, okay. Is, this is a game they definitely like to demo. I think because it's a it's a fairly rare game. I think it was, it was a pretty late release for the system. 
probably didn't sell more than a thousand copies in the U.S. Would be my guess. Okay. Um. Speaking of conventions, do you have? This is going to sound like quite the segue, but I promise to tie it together. Um, speaking of conventions, do you have any idea for Halloween this year? Uh, what? No. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I, I bought a bunch of candy already. I have to, like, you know, put it in bags and give it out to kids, right? Okay. Okay. My neighbor goes pretty crazy for Halloween. Mm-hmm. It, it's really a very, very good neighbor for that, but... Um, starting about two years ago, I decided, well, I've always just sort of had like uh, Halloween in my driveway, like, mm-hmm. you know, a table with candy and stuff in, in the driveway. Mm-hmm. Um, so people aren't, don't have to go to the door. Mm-hmm. Um, but like starting in 2020, I actually started doing like uh, more like candy bags where I, I buy a bunch of like little plastic bags, um, throw, you know, a few pieces of candy in each bag and then just leave those out for people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I guess I gotta start making candy bags soon. Why, why do you have something going on? Well, so actually, I've got a wild idea for a costume. I've got a friend of mine, and I'm gonna name drop them. A, a lady here in Des Moines named Gretel Ranch, who uh, is talking about helping me build this thing. But I want a custom-made Halloween costume. So, are you familiar with the the whole "don't walk" guy controversy? Or controversy isn't the right word, but so on the box art to the North American version of Streets of Rage Two. There's this guy in this green shirt and brown pants with a baseball bat in his arm, and he's walking under the street sign that says "Don't walk." But no, the angle, I'm... the angle looks like he's not walking under the street sign, but it looks like he's wearing it. It's like a huge helmet. Okay. Okay. It's and a so very actually, specific costume here. Well, I'm thinking about having Gretel help me build this giant "Don't Walk" headpiece. And then getting a green shirt and brown pants and a baseball bat and walking around with that as a Halloween costume. Take a second to look it up. Um, <clears throat> so this is Streets of Rage 2. Yeah, Streets of Rage 2, don't walk. Just look, Streets of Rage 2, don't walk. And this is on the box art. Yes. I, it does, I, it, I, don't, I don't see the guy. He's walking under the sign, but it doesn't look like he's walking under the sign. It looks like he's wearing the sign. Um, Streets of Rage 2, box art. Oh, on the back. Yeah, on the side. Like, yeah, oh, okay. yeah, yeah. This is why yeah. I was not excited. I, I can picture the box art, but I'm just like, what? I see now. Yeah. So yes, he, he looks like he has a don't walk sign on, on his head. Yes. And so I, most of that costume is pretty easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. But you have to make a don't walk sign that you can see through. <laughs> like I, I, some sort of fabric that you color, but it's still, vis- you can see through it. But the problem is I'm not going to have any peripheral vision. So I'll need a handler. Yeah. I'll need someone to guide me across the street and stuff. <laughs> um, which I didn't think I would need for another, you know, 30 or 40 years. <laughs> um, I don't know if it'll happen. You know, maybe maybe it'll be price prohibitive or maybe Gretel and I won't be able to, like, figure out a schedule for it. But I really do want that costume. Um, <clears throat> just wear it around. But the reason that the cons were relevant is because if we do make this thing and then I ever make it to Midwest Gaming Classic, you're going to need to be looking for a guy with a don't walk sign on his head. Bumping into everything. (laughs) Bumping into everything and everyone, yes. Yes. Um, Well, I don't think I have anything else to say about this track. What's your next one? 
Uh, what is my next one? I'm gonna go with, uh, was oh, this a game for my backlog? I, I own this game and I have never played it. And that is Vey. So it's another RPG. And this is track nine. I don't know what part of the game it is because I haven't played it. And the composer, I believe, is Shigeki Sako. Yes, track nine. I assume uh, this has sort of a town feel to it, but it could also be overworld or map. Well, so I have played this game. This is one of okay. those games I played in, when the Sega CD was new to us, and I can tell you this is the overworld theme. It is, okay. Yeah. It does have a walking around kind of feel to it. Yeah, it does. It does. I, um, I think I beat this game. I think so. Uh, and I remember really liking it. It's got some really good music. Um, in fact, we're um, one of the tracks from Vi is going to make it into this Halloween episode of Channel One that I had just been talking about, and um, and it's this track called "Freak You Out," and it has this moment that's like almost like a super obvious, blatant, almost rip off of Thriller. Okay, you know, it's like you hear this moment in the song, it's like, oh come on! But it's such a good piece that you don't care. You know what I mean? Um, so, but yeah, this is the overworld theme and it's great. It's, um, I love how, how joyful and it's got kind of a minimalistness to it. You know what I mean? Just kind of those heart plinks. Yeah. This, yeah. Hopefully I will get around to, uh, to trying this one day. This is one of my favorite overworld themes because it's so... 
I don't know. I mean, it it, it feels like you're leaving the Shire. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yes, definitely play this game if you get a chance. It is a really quality RPG game. Um, and I, it, knowing that you're a big fan of RPG games, I think you'll like it. Yeah, yeah, I, I suspect I will. It's just, you know, one of these perpetual backlog games. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't really think I have anything else to say about it. Do you? Nope. No, let's uh, let's carry on. All right. Well, so this will be the second of the composers that came up in our four favorite composers episode to make this episode. We are going to be hearing from Martin Iveson, but not Jaguar this time. As Hugh had mentioned early in the episode, uh, Jaguar doesn't make this episode. We are going to be hearing Ancient Temple from Wolfchild. So let's go ahead and check it out.
Okay, and this is Ancient Temple from Wolfchild. Um, the Super Nintendo. So Martin Iveson did the Amiga soundtrack, and it was one set of music. And then the Genesis version was Matt Furness's reimagining of Martin Iveson's Amiga soundtrack. So another one of my favorite composers. Um, but then Martin Iveson did a completely different soundtrack for the Sega CD and the Super Nintendo version. But the Super Nintendo and Sega CD soundtracks are lockstep. I mean, you know, obviously the, the advantage of the CD audio makes the Sega CD version sound a lot better than the Super Nintendo, the more, the, the more limited Super Nintendo version, but compositionally the Super Nintendo and the Sega CD versions are identical throughout. Have you had a chance to play any of the Wolfchild uh, games? It would have been a long time ago. I'm, I'm pretty sure I played it, um, but it have been quite a while ago. Okay. Did not go back and, and try it for, for this episode. Yeah, that's. I didn't go back and play any game for this episode. Um, I don't have the Sega CD version of Wolfchild. I just have the the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis versions. And the Sega Genesis version is my favorite version for a soundtrack. Um, but but um, it's just interesting that when it's time to do the Super Nintendo and Sega Genesis versions, he just completely wrote a whole new soundtrack for them. And there's, they don't sound anything like each other. They don't. They really don't sound anything like each other. But I love this track. This is, um, I don't even know what to say about this. It's just, um, I don't know. It is a little too boisterous for the theme it takes place, the moment it takes place in the game. It takes place in this decrepit, abandoned temple full of bugs and like you're walking over like dead bugs and all this stuff. And there's like giant cockroaches shooting stuff at you and all this stuff. So, um, it's a, we talk about music not fitting a scene. I, I guess I would say this doesn't fit the the place it happens at in the game. Yeah, yeah, I, th- I think so. Um, I, I definitely was not picturing a, uh, you know, a, a dark and, and dank place. This kind of feels, again, overworldly, you know, like you're mm-hmm. out walking around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I had mentioned, uh, I had mentioned earlier that we were going to have a game where the, me- the 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 map music sounded way too boisterous for a map. Yeah. And that that's this one. Like it's this funky this kind of fun funky thing that's great. I in fact I came so close to choosing the map music for this. But um I do love the game Wolfchild. Doesn't matter which version you're playing. And what's weird is there's like seven different versions of Wolfchild out there. But the only four that have music are the Amiga Genesis, Super Nintendo, and Sega CD. The other versions just don't have music, like the Atari ST version, or the I think I want to say there's even a Master System version of the game, and they they have title music, but then no other music throughout the whole game. Oh, that's weird. It yeah, is I mean, weird, I see I see a Master System and Game Gear version out there. Okay, yeah, and, and the graphics look pretty good on the Master System. That's, that's the funny. Spent all their time. Yeah, that's the funny thing about Master System is sometimes it looks like a Nintendo game and sometimes it almost looks closer to a Genesis game. You know, depending upon how much work they put into it. Like Altered Beast. Altered Beast on the Master yeah. System is a comes respectably close to the Genesis game. So, um, yeah, you never know what you're going to get with Master System. Well, anyway, I the, the mechanic of Wolfchild is you start off as just a man with fists. And you get enough power-ups and you turn into this werewolf and then you could throw fireballs and stuff. And you take enough hits as the wolf and you turn back into the man. 
Yeah, it's, it's a similar premise to Altered Beast, right? Well, a similar premise, but a very different execution. Yeah. 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 Um, but if you've never played it, I, rec I, I definitely recommend you do. It's a really good game. Um, but I think that's all I have to say about this track. What do you, what do you have next for us? Um, I'm going to go to the first lunar game also called lunar, uh, silver star, uh, composer. And that is, uh, Noriyuki Awarde. And I'm going to go with, uh, Meribia, which is a town theme. Meribia, one of the many relaxing town themes from the Lunar series. Yeah, I never played the second Lunar game, but I did. The first one was one of those early Sega CD games for us. And so I don't think I beat it, but I think I got pretty far into it. So I think I did encounter Meribia in the yeah. game. Yeah, it's a very grindy game. You're, mm -hmm. If you didn't beat it, I completely understand because you definitely have to spend a lot of time, uh, you know, grinding levels to have any chance of surviving in this game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, this one was also full of cutscenes, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I I think I have a couple of those in my head. Yeah, there there are quite a few, and 
The first game has been remade quite a bit, the second game not as much. So like you can get this on Game Boy Advance and PS yeah, PSP and of course um PlayStation. Okay. And the second game got a remake for PlayStation, but it didn't really get a remake for anything else. Okay. Um Eternal Blue was the second one, right? Yes. Okay. All right. I remember seeing it on the PlayStation but never never touched it. So um yeah, yeah, I oh, I love those I love that flourish that just happened. In the piece. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, it it really does Maybe maybe next year for season 3 we need to do a town episode. Yeah, I was thinking of of something like that in the future, yeah. I have, I have a couple just... episode ideas I want to One of them I have to research if it's even feasible to do. Like you get an yeah. idea because you you can think of like one or two games that fit that idea, uh-huh. but then you try to see if there's more than one or two games that that fit that theme, and you realize there aren't. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think town would certainly be easily doable. So we'll have to make it a point to do that sometime next year. My next track is definitely not a town. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah. So. <clears throat> We had mentioned uh, Spencer Nelson, so we get to hear from him one more time. And we are going to hear the Undercaves from the Sega CD version of Echo the Dolphin.
Okay, and this is the Undercaves from Echo the Dolphin. And this is the Sega CD version, which is absolutely positively 100% confirmed, composed by Spencer Nelson. You know, recently when we did our four favorites, we heard from the Genesis version, which Spencer Nelson was involved with, but so were uh, Brian Coburn and Andras Maggiari. Um, I enjoy the Genesis version. It, it's it's actually more diverse. It's more diverse than the Sega CD version. But the Sega CD version just hits a theme and just nails it and just sticks with it. And so in this case, I prefer Spencer's Sega CD version because this just feels so perfect for this deep underwater adventure, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I like the soundtrack a lot. I mean, it's, this is another kind of good uh, working soundtrack because mm-hmm. most of the songs are fairly ambient mm-hmm. um, never really understood what I'm supposed to be doing in the Echo the Dolphin games I, I don't know <laughs> if I'm alone in that I think you know I think this is the first this this stage here is the furthest I've ever made it in the game okay I don't I never made it all the way through the game I it was a game it was and I'll even say still is a game that I desperately want to love but have never quite gotten there <laughs> Yeah, I don't particularly want to like the game. I've, I've, like I said, I've tried them. I just, I, I don't get them. Have you played any of the, the later Echo games, like the the next gen Echo games? No, no. Maybe I should start with Echo Junior. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I, I've never even thought about that as an, an option, but that might be a great way to get into it. Well. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Is Echo Jr. specifically geared for kids, or is it just kind of... Like, is Echo Jr. as in Echo for children, or is Echo Jr. as in Echo's child? I don't know. I thought it was Echo as in this is an easier version of Echo the Dolphin. Okay. I mean, the box art is, like, super cartoony, and it was under... I think it was under some label that Sega also released, like... um, It's box art that's similar to, like, the Pico games, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm looking it up real quick. Uh, uh, okay. Oh yeah, Echo Junior definitely looks like it's Kitty. See his big blue. A slightly modified port. Okay. Oh, there was a modified version for Pico actually. Yeah, yeah. But that's I mean that's a different game altogether. I I don't know how much you. It it's modified quite a bit. I'll say I'm I'm sure. Okay. Because the Pico controls are just not anything like you know the the genesis um i don't know the pico i mean i have a pico and i have almost a complete collection of pico games okay um which is it not very hard to get I mean, if, if you want to ever collect for for a system um that's a pretty easy one to get a full collection of if you were so inclined okay uh, like hardware wise it's very similar to the genesis i I, uh, I remember the pico but i thought i remembered it being similar to genesis but it is. I could probably write a Pico game if there was a Pico emulator. Um, but it just doesn't have, like, a controller, right? Like, it's... it's. I mean, it has, like, a D-pad kind of built into the thing, but you couldn't really... It's not practical to play an action game on it. Okay. Well, so I'm looking... I'm looking at eBay, and it looks like I could buy a Pico with no cables for 50 bucks. Oh. I, don't... don't I I've it. bought multiple Picos... For like under a dollar. Okay. Like if you go to if you just go to a yard sale, like the first Pico I got was like 
hey, I have this thing with a whole bunch of games for like $5. And that was like the first one. And the second one I was at, I don't remember where. I remember was it, I don't remember where, but I got a boxed Pico for a dollar or two somewhere else. Oh, interesting. I'm seeing the Japanese version of the Pico, and that looks way cooler. I mean, it's obviously the same shell, but it's different colors. And, oh yeah, it's it looks so much better than the American Pico. Well, that's 110 bucks. Oh yeah, don't don't buy that. Yeah, I'm not gonna buy anything today. But all right, well, I say we get to our our last couple of tracks. Yes, it's your last track of the day, and it's the last one that you're gonna hear talking with. Yeah, I it? guess this is sort of uh, another town theme. Um. So this is uh, Secret of Monkey Island. This was another early okay. release. It was a cardboard box game. Uh, recently got a re-release by Limited Run Games. And this is Melee Island. And there's a lot of composers credited on the game, and I have no idea which one actually composed this song. Uh, the credits list, Michael Land, Barney Jones, Andy Newell, and Patrick Mundy. I don't know, again, which one of them actually composed it. Uh, but here it is, Melee Island. Have you played any Monkey Island games? No, but I could see pictures of them in my head. Okay. Um, I trust you have? Yeah, I played the first one. I uh, played through it on Sega CD. And okay. it's a kind of a weird way to play it. It runs a little slow on the Sega CD. Maybe on PC it, it plays a little bit faster. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The puzzles, you know, it's a game where it's not possible to die, so it's kind of like the opposite of the King's Quest games. Um, <laughs> I think there is one way to die in the game, like to get a game over screen, but you have to really try hard to do it. Okay. Like, now, like see, you when you to, say the... You put effort into dying, unlike King's Quest, where it's like, oh, look, there's a shiny pebble on the ground, and you pick it up, and then, like, a wolf eats your face or something. <laughs> see, I've never played the King's Quest games either, but when I hear you say it's the opposite of King... It's impossible to die. It's the opposite of King's Quest. What I hear in my head is King's Quest, it's impossible not to die. It, it's very hard to not die in the King's Quest games. I mean, everything okay. will kill you in that those games they are very very unforgiving okay okay um, i mean they're they're really fun game there's nothing i have nothing against king's quest other than it's just like you have to save a lot um monkey island you pretty much can't fail okay okay um maybe that game should come out on the pico <laughs> yeah um <clears throat> Yeah. So, what would be what would you say would be the best way to play this game today? Because there's been re-releases, haven't there? Recently. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you probably can get it. I assume you can get this on Steam or something. It it probably runs and they probably just fork Scum VM or something. Um, something that where they've already done the work to you know to um, get it running in Scum VM or DOS box, DOS box, blah, one of those two. All right. I mean, you Secret can configure it yourself, of course, and run it in one of those, but. Sure. Why not okay. get something that people have already set up for you? Sure. Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition on Steam. It's for sale for $10. bucks. Uh, does show Steam Deck compatibility is playable. Uh, although, as I've, as I've said before, in my experience, the, um, the compatibility ratings are kind of akin to fear-mongering. I mean, as in, like, way more stuff is playable than they say is playable. Yeah. Um, so, but I've added it to my wish list. So maybe the next time it goes on sale, I'll pick it up. Maybe someone will buy, buy it for you right now. Who knows? <laughs> we'll see. That that has been known to happen before. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah. All right. Well, I, looking at the pictures of it, it does look like a fun, kind of a fun, quirky story game. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's, it's a very humorous game. Oh, and yes, I, I, I've heard that humor is a big element. And, you know, there's actually a, a recent game that just came out that is d- deliberately in the style of Monkey Island, um, which, you know, is not surprising. But let's see if I can find it real quick. I've got so much stuff in my Steam wish list. I'm, this may be a fool's errand, but I'm going to take just a second to scroll and see if I can find it. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a thousand indie games copying the style, too. Oh, yeah, sure. But this one seems a little more deliberate um well i mean they're all deliberate but this one seems uh, deliberate isn't the word i'm looking for maybe adjacent is the better word i don't know i don't know i don't speak english that's that's a fun thing i uh, my uh, i'm i'm good enough at spanish that i can have like real honest to goodness conversations not just like donde esta el baño um, and so I speak with the cleaning crew at work in Spanish. We have real conversations, but then if I don't know how to say something, um, if I don't know how to say something in Spanish, I'll switch to English for it. And then I'll say, no hablo español, which is, I don't speak Spanish. And then we both have a good laugh about that. Um, <clears throat> so, all right. I'm about to give up here cause I haven't found it yet. 
It's centered around some very some guy with a very ordinary sounding name. And it's it's like, not the game uh, what Thumbleweed Park or or whatever though. It's by the Monkey Island creator. No, this is something no. new. Okay, very recent. Yeah, very recent. Okay, okay, yeah. Okay, so I just made it to the bottom of my wish list and I didn't find it, so I'm gonna give up. I that means I went past it and didn't see it. So. But there's some some like adventures of so and so. It's a very ordinary sounding name, and it seems like it's very much in deliberately in the style of Monkey Island. Okay. Okay. Well, let's move on. So we're we're basically at the end of the episode. We're at the point where we do our end of show stuff. We talk about anything that's coming up. We talk about our shows. Then we talk about the last track, and then we take off. Um, so, what is on? Uh, well, no, I'll save that question. Um, do you have any kind of end of show stuff? Um, no, I mean, I, I, I've got the other podcast, Retro Game Club. I know we're going to be doing, I believe we're going to be doing a Sega CD retrospective in the next week or two also. Um, that won't be about music, of course. It'll just be more about like our, our favorite games on the system. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to talk, uh, I, I, I co-host there into doing a uh, episode for the 20th anniversary of uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Okay. Which, you know, this is another, like, if, if, if you want to feel old, you know, um, th- that's certainly one. You know, it's, it's like, I, I think I'll write some clickbait articles. Like, think you feel old? The actor from Harry Potter is now 72. You know what I mean? Like, something like that. <laughs> you, you see a lot of those. Um, but but Grand Theft Auto Vice City turned 20 is kind of like a, geez, that, that does kind of feel old. Because that still sort of feels like a new game to me, I mm-hmm, guess. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in general, like, you know, if you, if you think about it in 1992, something from 1972 seemed like a billion years ago to you, right? Right, right. So the idea that Vice City is now that same age is, is definitely kind of, uh, kind of weird. So we might do an episode about that. And, um, I don't know. I haven't like published anything on my personal site in a while because I've been, I've been working on a different, like I have this other Sega Genesis demo I wanted to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I was working on it and I said, man, this game is really ugly. So I decided to just completely reskin the entire game using um, licensed tile sets instead of my own terrible artwork. And that was a, oh, I can get this done in a week thought, but I'm now into like month four of that. So um, I don't know if I'm going to publish anything anytime soon. I I might try and crank out some kind of Christmas article, but we'll see. Okay. Um, what about you? you what know, do you got going on? Well, so real quick about the Grand Theft Auto thing. It's um, <clears throat> it's so funny. You know, there's the whole meme. This is what you thought Zelda looked like 10 years ago, and it's linked to the past, right? Yeah. And then this is what Zelda actually looked like 10 years ago, and it's Wind Waker, right? You know? Yeah. Or, no, God, Wind Waker was 20 years ago. Wow, I just kind of fell into my own little trap there. I, um, yeah, you did, yeah. It was 20 years ago. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, my goodness. See, that's it's we're getting to an age now where time we start to kind of lose track of time like that, you know. I mean, the '90s were 30 years ago, but it still feels like 10 years ago to me. Yeah. You know? Um. Yeah. Well, so what's all right? So what's coming up with me? Um. I since since we've talked about Retro Game Club already, I'll um. People listening to the show by now have to be familiar with Nerd Noise Radio Channel One, but it's 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 Nerd Noise Radio as opposite of this as possible. It's a mixtape. It's you know it's a mixtape program, but with intros and outros emulating like NPR radio station radio music programs like Hearts of Space, and um, 
we're going to have pretty soon. We're going to have, and Hugh's going to do what I'm going to do, and we're going to have a best of 2022. We um, uh, we actually are already working on those. Um, so I'm not going to say anything else about them, you know. But we uh, we'll have those in December. Um, the Halloween episode that I've been saving since 2018 comes out uh, one week from the day this episode releases. We're recording this on the 16th, but it releases on the 20th, and then on the 27th, the Halloween episode comes out. And um, I can't, I'm so excited to get this one out. You know, my production techniques, my production quality skills techniques weren't what they were in 2018 that they are in 2022. So from a production quality standpoint, this episode will be nowhere near my my peak. But from a design philosophy standpoint, uh, this this episode could still be my magnum opus. Um, it, I, I was going for something very deliberate in the way I produced this episode. And I'll save that story for the intro of that episode because I talk about it in the intro. But uh, I am super duper excited to get that out to you and hopefully you'll like it. Uh, I had thought about in the Halloween 2018 episode, I had done this little gag bit in the intro where I used this this kind of spooky haunting voice and this thing where he goes evil and then he laughs and there's this thunderclap and then he coughs and then it so it turns out the evilness is actually the consequence of having a bad cold and i thought about doing <laughs> that and and i decided not to do that uh, actually you can hear that because uh, i reran that episode at the beginning of this month so if you go to the beginning of this month and look at nerd noise radio reruns c1e37 you'll hear that intro um now for the intro for the this this 2022 Halloween episode, I use the same special intro music and the same sound effects. So if you're familiar with that, you think that's where we're going again. But then when I come in the mic, I'm using my regular voice. Um, but I did do a callback at the very end after the outro is over. I did this, you know, for those of you who recall C1E37, you know, blah, 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 blah. You yeah. just listen, enjoy it over there. I, I had a lot of fun with it. But um so that's coming soon on Channel One. And then in November, we'll have another episode that is almost as old and got lost in the sands of time, too, and is now also finally seeing the light of day. So I'm very excited about both of those. I hope you'll enjoy them. Um, on For Channel Two, we'll be back in December for our best of season two. And we already have our tracks picked out for that. So I'm not going to say what they are, obviously, but we already know what you're going to be hearing. So we'll probably meet somewhere in late November to record that, and then you'll hear it in December. Um, I think I think that's really all that I have coming up for me that's significant. Um, and I think, I, I think that's probably all we have for end of the show stuff. Well, again, on Archive, be looking out. I'm not promising I'm going to do it. I may do it. I may not do it. But be looking out for another revisit to Best of 2021 slash 2022 where I take all four music blocks and smash them together into like this massive 12-hour thing. It, I might not do it because, it, it, first of all, it's more work. And second of all, it's redundant to what I've already shared on there. Uh, and I feel like there's even a limit to what I can get away with arc, on Archive. But... Um, I also feel like this is my current high watermark. This whole best of 2021 slash or 2020 slash 2021 collection, I think, is my current high watermark. So I may I may do it for that. Uh, I think that's I think that's oh one other thing. Uh, you had mentioned your co-host on Game Club, Rob from Detroit. I have actually talked to him a little bit on on Discord, and we're going to try to get him involved in a, something special on Nerd Noise Radio at some point. Whether it's a Channel One episode of his own or whether he joins us on a channel two or rather you do a channel two and I step out that episode, but it sounds like we're going to get Rob involved at some point, which nice. I'm very excited for. Yeah. Yeah. So I have no details on that, but okay. I'll, I'll touch base with Rob again and we'll figure something out. But, uh, 
Channel 2 fans who are also Retro Game Club fans, you're going to have an overlap, it sounds like, at some point. So get excited about that. Um, and okay, so I think the very last thing we got to do before we get out of here is talk about the closing track. So yeah, the final track is uh, easily our mellowest track of the day. This is a this is a great one to take us out. And, and actually, credit goes to Hugh uh, because... Well, no, because we were we were thinking about doing the tracks in a different order, but he was like, "This really has to be the closer." So, so thanks to him for that. Uh, it is theme of Jamie from Snatcher, and we had yeah. talked about. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah, yeah. This is such a mellow and it's kind of a sad track. I mean, a lot of the songs from Snatcher have a kind of a sad feel to it. It's not a particularly happy game. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I just you would have sad because I, you know, have you played the game? No, but I've seen enough of it. I know it's so. If if Indiana, if I'm sorry, if Ernest Evans is the anime Indiana Jones, then uh, Snatcher is the anime Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pretty blatant ripoff of uh, of Blade Runner, of course. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, this character is, um, I guess for lack of a better term, the the sort of estranged wife of of the lead character. Um, you both have horrible amnesia and can't remember like why you're married or or you know how you you fell for each other so your relationship is kind of strained okay um definitely definitely sad feel to it what's interesting to me as someone who hasn't played the game but as someone who has heard the various versions of the soundtrack is theme of jamie is different on all the other versions this is this theme of jamie is unique to the sega cd version like it's a different composition on the other versions. Yeah. It's um it's a nice one, the other one, but it doesn't have this this beautifully sad magic to it. Like this is definitely my favorite theme of Jamie. Yeah. Yeah, there's some remixes too. I mean, there's a, there's some Snatch remix albums um, that that have a version like this too. Mm-hmm. Well, and we had also talked about having one more track that used the Sega Genesis sound hardware, and that's this one. Yeah, yeah, that's really the unfortunate thing about, about Snatcher. It has one of the best soundtracks on Sega CD, but you can't uh, rip it and put it onto MP3 easily. Yeah, because most of it's not Redbook. Most of it's uh, Genesis. Yeah, the, the audio on the Genesis is a lot of... There's some... Um, I think it's cutscene dialogue. Oh, the Genesis music is cutscene dialogue? Yeah, well, that well, makes I think sense. I gotta, I gotta remember, if you try and rip the Sega CD track, I don't remember if there's any audio tracks at all. Maybe one, but it is like dialogue. I, it's been a while since I've actually looked at the CD. Um, well, Tear Stained Eyes, the end credits music is CD audio. And then um, there are a few others. Well, unless unless they're not using CD audio, unless they're using the system red, the, the Sega CD sound chip. Yeah, I think That's they, I think they are. I have, to, I have to look. It's been a while since I've, like I said, it's been a while since I, I popped Snatch into a CD player and tried to rip it. Um, okay. But again, it's been like, this stuff's been re-released. Like uh, Konami has done a few different Snatcher albums. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know for a fact you can get the MSX version on a soundtrack. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful track. I mean, gosh, this one... This one, if this one doesn't make our best of Channel 2, it's going to have to make our best of 2022 it's Channel 1 stuff. Because this, this, this can't not be refeatured. So... Well, is there anything else you want to say about it, or do you want to say goodbye to the audience? Oh, let's uh, let's say goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. 
Yes, thank you for listening. And also, one more time, Baron PVC, thank you so much for that game. I appreciate it tremendously. Um, we will be back in December. Date TBD for C2R2, best of season two. So thank you very much for listening. And in the meanwhile, wherever you are, play in two. All right, so I'm recording. Um, I'm not recording the meet yet. Let me click record on that. That would be that's a good backup thing to have. It, uh, we've we've had to use it before. Yes, because of me, my having too many windows open problem. All right, let me make sure these all work together. So, okay. All right, I think it. All right, I got everything working. I still got crisscross though loaded up. <laughs> uh, I'm opening up my VLC right now. Okay, uh, talk. I want to make sure I can hear you over the music. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, what am I doing here? I heard an old joke. I didn't come up with this, but I heard a quote that said the the funny thing about health insurance is that even if you have it, it kind of feels like you don't. Oh yeah. Uh, Well, you know, look, it's for me, it's weather for me has to either be Zen or adrenaline, right? Like 
it's got to be like 72 puffy clouds, gentle breeze, or it's got to be like a huge thunderstorm or like a huge snowstorm or like super amazing fog. Anything else is depressing for me. All right. So you want to be done by noon. So we should get going soon. Yeah, I got to get my stuff pulled up here. You know, I, I all this talk about trying to be ready early and I hadn't heard anything. I was waiting to hear something. I'm like, you know, I, uh, a little bit of pipe tobacco out on the port sounds good. And so I'm out there doing that. And then I see your email. I'm like, oh, shit, I've got six minutes. Well, it's all right. I, I, like I said, I just, I have a bad habit of oversleeping on Sunday because it's like the only day that I can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I miss oversleeping. Anymore, I'm just up, like at five. So there's a couple things we need to do. We need to, first of all, we need to figure out a name for this episode. And if you want, we could do that inside the episode because that was kind of fun. Yeah. You know, yeah that's kind of up, its own gag. Like we can, we, can, we can use the next level one if we don't come up with anything else along the way. Okay. Um, okay, so we'll do that. And then we also need to figure out how we're going to work the gag. Because what I'm thinking is, you know, we'll have you do the You Are Tuned to Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2, and then we won't, we'll have, we'll, we'll jump into the beginning of jump bef- after the, the record sound, right? So just, you don't hear that little record sound, you hear the jump, jump, and then we get a couple seconds in, and and uh, we could either have you say, no, no, this isn't, this isn't right, or I can say, Hugh, what's going, what are you doing, you know, or something like that, and then we do the record sound, and then well, let's try this again. I don't know. I mean, however you want to do it. This is, you know, the idea of using this is a is a bit. I'll just do like, yeah, yeah. I'll just do like, you know, welcome to the show and all that stuff. I'll, you know, this episode dedicated to the 30th anniversary of the Sega CD, and let's start off with one of the launch game with a song from one of the launch games, and then I'll start that, and then you you can you 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 can declare that you're vetoing that song or something. (sighs) Huh. Okay, well, let's go ahead and, um, okay, my mic is a little too loud. So, let's see. That better? I, see, I, I, I know I say this every time, but I can fix too quiet a lot more easily than I can fix too loud. So, okay, yeah, that's looking yeah. good. That's looking good. Um, okay, so. Right, so, I'll just, I'll just start in. I'm not good at scripted stuff. I'm just going to warn you. Very bad at that. Well, improv. Improv. I'm going to do something here. Okay. Blah. <clears throat> Uh, what's this episode number? 10? 10. 10. Yep. C2E10. All right. It's track number three, and the composer is Katsumi Tanaka or Satoshi Shimaka. Sorry, oh. I mispronounced it. Can you do that one again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Satoshi Shimazaka. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and kick the show off right. Okay, thank you for listening. This is Nerd Noise Radio Channel 2, C2E10. Oh, shit. We don't have a date. <laughs> every time we do this, every time we do this. Um, let's pull up the calendar here. Let's, uh, in fact, let's, once we have the date settled, let's bring the track back and redo that. That's blooper reel for sure. I get to yeah. use the sensor sound again this episode. Okay. Well, it's going to kill me, but let's do it for this coming Thursday, the 20th, 
Because okay. if we do it next Thursday, then we're releasing it the same day as the Halloween episode on Channel One. So, okay, okay. So October twentieth. All right. So, all right. Uh, let's click it back. Three, two, one, and I'll I'll be I'll bring it in once the amped stuff happens. Okay. I feel like that blooper section is like wonderfully terrible. So I think it's gonna I think it's gonna suck in the best possible ways. So all right, okay. Three, two, one. Oh, this is so weird, Hugh. I just got a pop-up. You've received okay. a gift. Cloudpunk. NNR. Fly the end. Best wishes. A fan. Okay. Wow. <laughs> Cloudpunk. Oh, it's a it's it's a it's a cyberpunk themed delivery game basically. I was I had just added it to my wish list this morning. Oh. So okay, so it's oh okay, it's uh I'm going to accept the gift, but I'm actually going to wait till we come back because I'm gonna I'm gonna mention it on the air and I'm gonna give them a name drop because it says who it's from. Okay. So. Okay, so let's uh let's count it back in, and then and then after the rejoinder, I'm gonna go right into that. Okay, so three, two, one. Three, two, one. I did a terrible job getting composers here. I need to I need to get on that. Yeah, and the problem with um Sonic CDs, I'm never sure if I actually have it right. Go okay, ahead. I got it. I got it. So let's go ahead and uh bring it back. Three, okay. two, one. Okay, and that is worky worky whack bench. Wow, <laughs> that's a completely different thing. <laughs> that's blooper reel for sure. Um, okay, so all right, let's count it again. All right, three, two, one. Yeah, doesn't this track just kind of feel like you're on vacation? Yes, in in fact, you know, we were talking about the difference between. I'm going to say this again when we're on the mic, uh, but. Um, we were talking about the difference between Sega CD and like PlayStation One. This sounds like a PlayStation game to me. Okay, yeah. Well, I mean, it was originally a PC game, mm -hmm. and i I don't know what they I don't know what they did to convert the audio to Redbook. Um, but the see the like if you listen to this through AdLib or Sound Blaster or whatever, the original sounds pretty close to this too. I bet it was using the MIDI. And then they basically okay, yeah, just yeah, I could, I made like that. a wave, made a wave recording of the MIDI and then put that in Redbook, probably. Be my guess. Yeah. So have you played Secret of Monkey Island on, on any system? No, but I could see pictures of it in my head. Here, yeah. you know what? Let's count. Let, this is great radio. Let's count it back and we'll just oh, have I this we conversation. Were doing that already. Oh, okay. Oh, no. So, no, you, you know what? You know what? I can edit that out or okay. I'll put that in the blooper reel. So, okay. All right. Yes, we're live. We're live. Uh, oh, yeah. But. You know, I don't think we ever we I don't think we said what this was on the rejoinder. Wait, we'll sorry. leave this out too. Wait, we'll sorry. leave that. Out. I'll I'll cut okay. that out too. I'll cut that out too. Okay, so sorry let's. All right, all right. Uh, we're back in three, three, two, one. Sega CD, Sega CD, CD, Sega CD. Sega CD.